joining with us. My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor here, and glad to, to have you with us here on this first Sunday of 2016. And if you'll, you, you will notice, for those of you who are regular attenders, it's quieter in the room this morning. Anybody know why it's quieter? There's, there's no infants back in that room right there. We, uh, we have started our nursery, and uh, if you do have kids under the age of two, so zero, one, or two, and you feel comfortable leaving them with our nursery, then you're more than welcome to make use of that. If you do have kids with you, you can, uh, you can even stay in there with them or just slip out, but we're trying to create a little bit of a better atmosphere in this room here, and th- that room has served us well when we haven't had the volunteers, but we're happy that we're in a, in a, in a, in a different day, in a quieter day. <laughs> My wife Amanda is convinced that I will only believe something is true if I read it on the internet. And you can ask her about that. Is that, is that right? That's true. She says there's nothing. She has two university degrees. We have more than 20 years of history together. But she, she feels that I won't take her word for it unless Google verifies it for me. I don't feel that it's never, that I will never believe, but I think all of us do have some difficulty being quickly convinced of new information. For instance, if your spouse tells you that a food that you absolutely love and have eaten all your life, if your spouse comes to you and says, this is why it's unhealthy and we shouldn't eat it, are you going to take their word for it right away? No, no, no. You're going you're, you're gonna to look that up. Or, or something that you've held as a, as a firm truth for years and years, and a friend comes up and, says, and challenges what you've believed to be true forever and ever. We live in a world where they don't have to have the last word. Google can have the last word. And you can look that up on your phone and say, see, no, I disagree with you. Google tells me that. If anyone does marriage counseling, uh, please come and see Amanda and I after the service. We, we need... Are there, are, are there any great debates that go on in your household on a regular basis? There's one that goes on in some people's household. It's recycling versus jam it all into one bin. Have you ever, have you ever had this? Have you ever had this, uh, Andrew, just uh, we've got this image here. Have, have you ever had this? Oh, not, is that the one? No, recycling versus throw it all away. That's not the one we want. There it is. The, the, the fight that we have some people are like passionate green binners. Any passionate green binners? In, yeah, we got a few passionate. Any people who really could care less where it goes as long as it goes into one of the receptacles? Yeah, we know. And, the, and people will get passionate about this. I know, I know a guy, a man and I have a friend, and, and he, he, he cares more about the garbage than the people that he's fighting to sit, thinks that the world is going to serve better than for when we properly take care of that garbage. And he will go around, make, he'll go around collecting other people's garbage, making sure that it's all, it's all sorted properly. And then I go on, to the, on Google, and I Googled, and I found out that in, did you know that in some communities, more than two-thirds of the plastics that are collected in recycling bins are just landfilled? More than two-thirds in some, in some communities. The GTA isn't that bad, but there are some things that we recycle that they'll flat out say, no, we can't recycle those. Yogurt containers. They say, we can't, we can't recycle those. Juice containers. The cost to break those down is way more than what it would be to, um, to get the benefit out of, so they don't even bother recycling those. You can tell which side of the debate I'm on on that one. <laughs> what about this one? Is there anyone that has, the, you've ever had this debate in your house, is the best way to achieve peace through war. Some people would, would advocate that you need war to create peace. Because what do we do with terrorist groups? What over the last few years, and we've been seeing groups like ISIS and the Taliban, war maybe needs to precede an, a time of peace. 
I did a baby dedication for a member of Portico last weekend, and he's in the Navy, and I thanked him, and we had discussed where he had been and all the tours he had been on, and beliefs set aside, I think we thank each and every one of our service people that serve in our, in our, in our military, but is peace achieved through attack, or is peace achieved generally through defense? It's probably worth a discussion. It's probably a debate that you may have in your household. Is there something that gets you all hot and bothered? M- most of us have something that we're secretly passionate about. Does, does anyone have one of these soapboxes? Let me poke and prod. We can go back to that first picture, Andrew. What about private education versus public education? Now, we're meeting in a Christian school, and my wife works for the public board, and um, there's only been two or three fistfights between Kathy, Mike, and Amanda, as far as I, that I've known, between p- private and public education. All jokes aside, though, there are, there are drawbacks and benefits to both sides, and for the sake of my marriage and my job and my friendships, I'm going to leave my opinion out of this one. What about the way that we discipline our kids? How many use timeouts? Anybody use timeouts as a parent? Anybody use the one, two, three method? Anybody grounded? Was, was anybody grounded growing up? No, I was grounded growing up, for sure. And was anybody spanked? We get, in, we get into this discussion about what parenting tactics are effective and what are ineffective. And I always say this, the one, two, three method. One means I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> two means I better get prepared to listen to you. And three means I'm going to listen to you. It's, and some will, some will fight about, no, that's, we need one because that prepares them to listen. Some people will say we need to have spanking because that's when kids were listening. And some will say that's physical abuse. Some will say you can't put in time out because it's psychological abuse. All of these issues cause arguments between friends and families break down because we come from other sides and we have firmly held passionate beliefs. But very clearly, the largest debate that the church faces is this. Is the Bible the one source for truth for all of the world? Because that is an arrogant opinion. (laughs) It's an intolerant opinion. It's an extremely politically incorrect opinion. But what if it's right? What if that opinion is right? And it creates passion and it creates disagreement. And for the next five weeks, we're going to follow Timothy Keller's book. And the book is called The Reason for God. And we're going to study that in our small groups. We're going to do that at the small group experience that is held on Mississauga on Wednesdays. And we're going to put our faith on trial. We're going to ask if Christianity stands up to the skepticism that is surrounded in this great debate. And it's going to be a great series for those of you who are who are actually wrestling with, do I believe what the church says is true? And we're also, the, well, there was a day when churches were filled with mainly believers saying, I'm 100% convinced I believe what you're talking about. And we were taught refined pieces about our faith. That was the purpose of Sundays. But today, we know that churches are filled with lifelong believers. They're also filled with skeptics. They're filled with new believers. They're filled with believers who have recently stepped back from a place where they once believed. And our Sundays, we intentionally design them so that anyone at any level can come in and connect with God. This is our main goal on Sundays is our connect value as a church, connect with Christ and connect with his family. Now for believers, there might be an area of our faith lives that we've never really developed a proper defense for or we've never resolved that issue for ourselves. We don't have a good answer. And this morning, we're going to look at the intellectual side of our faith. We're going to look at the emotional side of our faith. We're going to look at the social side of our faith. Because most people who come to Christ lean to one side or the other. They have one dominant reason why they 
believe in Jesus. And there are areas where we lack. And sometimes we are presented with legitimate obstacles for those who are outside of the faith because of the way that we live out our faith. We have intellectual Christians who rarely engage in good works and make people say that Christianity is hypocritical. We have emotional Christians who can't articulate the tenets of our beliefs and it makes our faith seem shallow. And we have these blind spots that we're unaware of. And as we try and present Christ to a world, we actually present obstacles for them. I was driving in a colleague's car a couple of weeks ago and there was a light that started flashing as I was driving in his car. And I thought, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, that's a problem. That's never a good feeling, right? When you think you've just wrecked somebody's car and they're never gonna believe you that the light wasn't on when you started driving and now it's come on, right? They're gonna say, what did you do to my car? And I looked and it wasn't the oil light. I wasn't in overdrive. I wasn't wrecking anything. But what I did find out, there was a car. I was in the right lane beside me and was just coming in and out of the fringe of my blind spot. And and they have a blind spot indicator in their car, right? And it just, it starts flashing and say, there's a car in your blind spot. Well, this series, although it's created to engage people who would be questioning faith, we're also going to be looking at the blind spots that we may have as Christ followers and just say, warning, warning, there's an area of your faith that you haven't really addressed. And Timothy Keller, in the opening of his book, he identifies three barriers or blind spots that cause issue to all kinds of people. So as we start off our series today, we're not going to resolve these issues. We're actually not going to present an answer to the problem. We're just going to make ourselves aware of the problem and look at some of the scripture. And what we're going to find out is that God is aware of these issues, these blind spots or barriers, and he is prepared to handle the truth. So if you're taking notes this morning, it's in your bulletin. It's on the app as well. If you download the Portico app, you can put the notes right in there. And if you do need a copy of the Bible to borrow, you can slip your hand up and one of our ushers will make sure you get a copy to borrow this morning. But here we go. The first one, the first blind spot or barrier that we have is the intellectual one. Many people encounter Christianity and they struggle to engage for some very legitimate reasons. We think about this one. How can God have just always existed outside of time and space? How could there be a being that, that has no beginning and no end, that doesn't make sense to our minds? And then if there is a God, how could he choose one group of people and identify that group of people, the Jewish people, as the chosen ones and everybody else as Gentiles? Why would God favor a group of people? That doesn't sound like a very compassionate God and just God. And then we just came through the Christmas season and we would say, why would God come to the world as a little baby born to an unwed teenage couple surrounded in scandal who got married quickly and then try not to let other people know about it? All, all the time Jesus was saying, don't say anything about me. Don't, don't, don't speak about me. How can a good God allow pain and create a world with such sin and iniquity? How can God punish good people? And what about carbon dating? And what about dinosaurs? And what about evolution and other scientific truths that seem to challenge the story that we read about in the Bible? And questions like these prevent so many people from ever coming to faith because our world presents us with legitimate questions and legitimate truths that completely disprove what we would feel would be the truth in the Bible. You know, even in Jesus' day, he was on trial before Pilate. And if you know the Bible, you'll know what Pilate asked, the question that Pilate wrestled with. We see it in John 18 and 38. He said, what is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews and he gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. 
Pilate was wrestling, what is the right thing? God, what is truth? Does, does Jesus have truth? And then he goes out to people and says, this guy hasn't done anything wrong. The only thing that you're upset about is that he's saying something that you believe to be untrue, and I'm not even sure what is true. And for many intellectuals, this is the struggle for faith. What is, what is true? Why are people saying that this is true when I can find other truth? I don't know where I can find the actual truth. And you become so caught up in your head that you can't believe unless you feel that it's been perfectly explained to you. And it becomes a barrier to believing in Christ. You know, it's also a blind spot for a group of Christ followers. We know that faith is believing without seeing and that everything can't necessarily be quantified or measured when it comes to our faith. And since we have chosen to believe, we feel that we don't have to be convinced because it's always a requirement of faith to believe without having full proof or full understanding. So we leave it as, a, as belief without the proof to ever have it, or without, without the need to ever have it proved to us. But you know that the scripture actually pushes us for those of us who are Christ followers, it says, no, you need to find answers. Look at 1 Peter 3 and 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you're a Christ follower in this room this morning, here's a little self-reflection. How equipped do you feel that to defend your faith if you were challenged? Just ask yourself that. If somebody said, Tell me why you believe what you believe. Tell me, tell me what's true about the Bible. Tell me how I could be convinced of that. How equipped do you feel? See, we don't, we don't have Sunday school anymore in churches. And for some of you, you grow up going to Sunday school and you were, you were taught different things about why we believe. And the way that we've developed our Sunday services has even changed, as I've just mentioned. It isn't necessarily teaching. It's more engaging into, into people, into a journey or the... Um, asking people to go deeper in their journey on their own or in a small group. And we've even stopped as a culture reading the Bible, Christian or not. Do you know that just 14, this is the study, we looked at this uh, last fall when we were looking at in our series, just 14% of Canadians read the Bible once a month. 14% will read it once a month. And that's gone down from 1996, the time the last study came out, when it was 28%. 64% of Canadians do believe this, though. They think that the scriptures, the Bible, uh, teach the same thing as all the other major world religions. And we've adopted this attitude to try and appease everyone and saying, you know, it's probably all the same. That we're probably all looking towards the same God. It's, there is no real one source of truth. And when we adopt this attitude, trying to create a theology that's appeasing everyone, we've actually become quite offensive to everyone. Because if there's one thing that Muslims, Christians, Buddhists, and Hindus agree on, it's that we disagree. <laughs> the, one, the one thing that's true to every faith is that we believe there is one source of truth. And in this effort to maybe make everybody happy and find a happy medium, we've lost a source of truth. And it's a vicious circle of needing to have evidence before we would have faith, but then those with faith never really finding the answers or going deeper, and we create this intellectual barrier for people. And although our goal this morning is not to resolve any of these barriers or blind spots, I can assure you that God is prepared to handle the quest for intellectual truth. And throughout the course of this series, we're going to look at men from Pilate to Nicodemus to a man called John the Baptist, who all wrestled and struggled with this, can truth be discovered? 
And we're going to look into history and see that the simple story of Jesus and the ancient manuscript of the Bible holds steady and holds true and does have a source of truth for us. But this morning we know that some of you are wrestling with the intellectual side of your faith. The second area that Keller identifies is this. He calls it the personal struggle. And there are people who have heard all the information. You've heard everything you've needed to hear. That part has been satisfied. But your barrier or your blind spot is more rooted in your feeling, in your emotion. And the barrier is that maybe you have a lack of that emotion. You know, churches are also filled with people who know the Bible. They would volunteer their time to serve, but they've never made a personal decision to make their faith real in their hearts. And as much as faith has an intellectual part, it naturally leads to a decision of the heart. It's more than information. It's relationship with Jesus that we talk about here at the church. Paul has, we, if we go to the scripture, we see the apostle Paul. Paul had been arrested. Remember, Paul was one who had studied the, he had studied the Jewish text, the ancient, um, the, it would have been the Old Testament and the writing of the prophets. He had studied it, but when he encountered the Spirit of God, his whole life changed. So this is a man who understood what it was to go from intellectual to the personal to the emotional. And he's arguing for the faith in front of the king, King Agrippa. And he begins to share the story and he begins to share the information and he begins to passionately say, and this is why I need to be here and I need to be talking to all these people. He's actually been arrested because of all the uproar he's caused in sharing the gospel. Let's go to Acts 26 and 28. And Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul Paul saying, I know that you know the information, but it's more than information. It's about the heart. And the king goes, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) I'm not ready to go there yet. You can't persuade me to become a Christian. I know the information. I'm a good and just king, but you can't persuade me. And there are Christians who this is a barrier, who this is a blind spot for. You've been convinced and you believe. You would say in this room this morning, listening to this message, that you believe that Jesus was God's son. You do your part, you volunteer, you, you, you give financially to the church, but you keep that feeling stuff at an arm's length. You're like, don't show me the pictures of the starving kids or don't sing songs about, oh, how he loves us. That's not for me. I, I, I have my faith in my head and I'll, I do it in my acts. And actually, this is a quite a typical male trap. It's not, it's not limited to men, but it is a quite typified in, in a lot of the way that men relate to God. It's a characteristic of it. And it's kind of like some men would say, I told you in my vows that I loved you. Why do I need to tell you again? <laughs> and the women say, because it's nice to hear it every once in a while. It's not, this wasn't a contract that we entered into. This is a relationship that we entered into. You can't just say it once and move on from there. And we, we come to church and we say, you know, I don't want to sing a song about my feelings. And just because we, let's go back to the relationship example. You don't walk into the house and you see your wife and you break into song. Like you're not living in a Disney musical. So why would you do that at church? Well, let's look at Peter's letter. First Peter 3 and 15. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Have a little bit of feeling. Take it more than from knowledge. Have it something that becomes part of who you are, a personal, emotional thing. There's more to faith than what you do and what you know. Faith is absolutely a relational thing. That's the thing that we believe separates us from uh, any other religion in the world. This is about having a personal one-on-one heart connection with God. 
In this series, we're going to break down this barrier and address that there are blind spots that some believers have that, that they've never come to terms with, that, yeah, it's more than my head. It's how I feel. And for some of you, this is going to be a barrier that right now you're feeling, I can't even go there because I'm not a very emotional person. Well, this series is going to help you start to see why there's purpose for it and why there's a reason for it. Okay, one more that Timothy Keller identifies. The third one is this. It's social. And there are some who know and some who feel a connection with God. You've done the intellectual, you've, you've done the personal, but you can't buy into this whole church thing because of what you've seen and what you've experienced in churches. And the church has been historically responsible for some of the greatest injustices that the world has ever seen. The church has created wars. The church has taken money and used it improperly. The church has engaged in every kind of abuse possible. We've been hypocritical. We've been hurtful. We've driven countless people away from the faith at the same time as trying to draw them into relationship with God. And so people disassociate themselves with church and they disassociate themselves with whom Jesus referred to as his bride. Have you ever had a friendship with somebody and you get along really well with one of the members of the couple, but not so well with the other members of the couple? <laughs> How does that go? <laughs> it doesn't go very long, does it? It's, it's one of those awkward things. And when we try and engage with Jesus, but don't engage with his bride, it's awkward and it doesn't work very well. And our faith becomes insular because it cares about ourselves and our needs and our soul, but we never engage with those who he's designed for us to engage with. And you need to know that Christianity was not meant to be lived alone. This is why we say Sundays are great, yes, but we need to be involved in serving together. We need to be involved in a small group together. We need to find other people that we're connecting with in some way, whether it's formalized or informal. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote it this way. He says, you have faith. Someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Here's what James says. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And the way that we engage the world and the way that we engage each other is by serving. And we do that in the context of church. Faith is supposed to be acted out and lived out and it becomes a blind spot for some Christ followers. We, some, there are some Christ followers who say, yeah, I love the word and I love worship. I even love church services. But we never do anything to demonstrate that love or we never do anything to use the gifts and talents that God entrusts in us and we engage with Jesus but we don't engage with his bride. And the only way that the church becomes the beautiful bride that Jesus described and Jesus envisioned is when each of us takes on that side of our faith and begins to actively serve, begins to actively become involved. And we back off for very legitimate reasons because we've been hurt, because we see flaws in the church. There is no meeting, there is no group of people that are perfect. But many of us have gone as far to convince ourselves that it's okay just to have a head and heart relationship with God and we leave out the hands part. It's the intellectual, it's the personal, it's the social. It's a well-rounded faith. And you and I are required by Scripture to socially engage in the mission and the life of the church. Here's what Psalm 15, 1-5 says. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? So who's, who can come close to you? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart whose tongue utters no slander, 
who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile, who, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept the bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. So here's the question for us all this morning. The question is this. Have you allowed a blind spot or a barrier to personally keep you from encountering God's gift of grace and truth this morning? Portico's three values are this. Hopefully we know them if you've been here a while. They are designed to help people develop a well-rounded faith. The first one is this. It's connect. It's what we do on Sundays. We believe that we need to connect with Christ and his family. And we sing songs and we worship and we, we engage the heart. And we say, there's more than just information. There's more than just serving. There's a heart aspect to it. That's what we do. We connect. Our second value is this. We grow. And we have what, we, what we're going to be calling growth groups. We've been calling them CLGs. People go, what's a CLG? And then we say, it's a community life group. And they go, what's a community life group? And we go, well, it's where we meet together in a small group. And we, it's a growth group. Okay. We're, it's a growth we're, we're going to grow in groups together because we believe that although we, we can have communicators that get up on Sunday and present the word and the gospel, it's not enough. We need to grow. So we do that in group together. It's why we say every day we need to be finding a time where we can read the Bible and we say the life journal is as good a tool as any and you can find the life journal reading on our app and every day you've got two or three chapters. We say, read this, and in the course of a year, you'll have read the whole Bible, and make sure you write something down that's the way that it's speaking to you, and keep a little journal, or keep a little note in the app about how you're growing with God. We know that it's important to connect the heart, but it's important that we study the Word and connect our minds with God. And the last one is this, our third value is serve, because we know that every faith journey requires faith becoming action. And we're not here to fill up your schedule. We actually want to streamline the church's schedule so that, so that it's easier to engage with the church. But we do believe that each of us do have a gift and we should be serving somewhere, somehow. That's how God created us. Is there a blind spot or a weak area? As you start 2016, is there something that has pre- prevented you from having a well-rounded relationship with God? And whether it's the first time you're going to take this step or whether it's something that you just want to reflect upon for maybe the hundredth time. We want to take a second and we're just going to sing. Uh, the band is going to lead us in that song. We've been singing the creed that just says, I believe in God the Father and Christ the Son and believe in the Holy Spirit. The things that we believe to be true. And as they lead us, I just want us to reflect on this. Would we make a resolution that would include a faith goal that would say, is there a blind spot or a barrier that's preventing me from really receiving all of God's gift of grace and truth this morning. So Father, this morning as the band begins to lead us, we just ask, we believe that the Holy Spirit's real and the Holy Spirit can speak. So I pray that in these next moments you speak to our hearts and you identify something specifically in our lives, Lord. And God, help us to have the ability to just be honest with ourselves and say, yeah, this is an area where I haven't fully developed what I need to develop. In the name of Jesus, I pray you speak real and true to each one of us this morning as we respond in this song. Thank you, Jesus. So this is the six-week journey we're going to go on. And in your hearts, I just ask, would you, would you commit to that? If you're not a part of a group, as I mentioned in the announcement time, 
We'd love to help you find a group. And whether it's Wednesday nights at the Mississauga campus, you can come together as programs for your kids. You can engage in a group that way, whether it's into a new, and we've got a couple new small groups. We're looking to start growth groups that we're looking to start up. And you, maybe you commit to meeting in someone's home throughout the week. Maybe you, for you, the commitment is just, I'm going to be here and engage for the next six weeks to say, God, is what you've said true? God, is what you've always said real? And God, is there something that I need to relinquish? Is there some part that I need to develop so that I can be a full, I can have a full, well-rounded relationship with you? I just want to pray for you before we go and ask that the Holy Spirit come and uh, the Holy Spirit go with us and really challenge us to live and believe differently. Lord, thank you for what you've, what you've done in our lives, what you've done in the room this morning. We believe, God, that you've, you've piqued the interest in our hearts, that you've identified different areas that we need to be aware of. And Father, I pray that each of us in 2016, we're able to make a commitment, we're able to make a resolution to say, I'm going to develop this part of my life. I've never maybe had the emotional connection. I've never really gotten the answers, the intellectual stuff. I've never gotten involved before. And in the name of Jesus, what we pray, God, is that Holy Spirit, you help us to find the right connections, to find the right places so that we would set practices and structures in place in our lives so that we would have the right connection with you, a full connection with you, Lord. Maybe even a brand new connection with you, Lord. So thank you for what you've done, God. Thank you for what you are going to do. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that as we go, you go with us and you, uh, and you lead our steps. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless. Thanks, guys.